Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, and it's a story of Paul, and a story of him suddenly, instead of going east, going west, and going to the city of Philippi. We'll pick up in verse 13 of chapter 16 of the book of Acts. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we, were, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were... unfastened. Then the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were open, and he, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house, in his house. And he took them in the same hour of of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Let's pray. Lord, guide us as we consider your word. Guide us in understanding what it meant then, 
and then speak to us through your spirit of what you are calling it to mean to each one of us now. Lord, we love you, and we seek to be led by you to understand what it means to be yours. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You have all been so very patient with me as your new, as your transitional pastor, as your pastor. Because I know all of us, we, we want answers. We want to know what are we going to do now? And do any, do, what are we going to do to, to fix what's wrong with the church and frankly with each one of ourselves? Do to heal anything that hurts? And do to, to reach the community and, and grow this church once again. What are we going to do? And these questions of what we should do are made harder because it seems that to reach a, a diverse community and, and new generations, the old ways that some of us uh, loved don't seem to be having the same effect anymore. And so it's tempting to just try and take control of the situation and, and, and to scratch that itch that we all have of just doing something so that we can get that, get that which we want. And I'm the pastor, and I've got the education and the books and the connection and the experience. I don't know what it is we should do and be doing it and just, just take control. But the fact is, the fact is, we're not that same sort of business. And we don't make decisions. That's just not how we do things. Things need to run in a way that reflects the gospel. And so we've been talking about the impact of the gospel. And we've talked about the impact of the gospel on individuals like Nicodemus and the woman at the well. We've talked about how the gospel impacts us and the way that we, that, we, that we go to work and live in this world. We've talked about how it impacts how we treat others and, and our sense of justice. But this morning I want to just take a glimpse at how the gospel impacts how we do church. The gospel is the message of the love and salvation of Jesus Christ. And our heart's desire as a church is, is to live in and share infectiously our witness of God's, of God's work in our lives. We have a testimony. And we try to, hard to, to figure out how to effectively help others know and experience what we've known and experienced of God. And these passages help give us a glimpse of how the gospel works through the church, works through the people of God gathered to affect the world. And it's, it's surprising, but it's real. And we see three different people and their encounters with the gospel. And then we'll consider how each one of those might be reflected today. Now, as we read about these three, Paul is on his famous second missionary journey in Asia Minor, in, in what is Turkey today. And he's just about 
as far west as he can go into go in Turkey to the Aegean Sea, and he's just ready to go a little bit north and then back east to head his way home through some cities that he'd been to before, and he wants to see those folks again. But just as he's going to go on his way, God changes his plans in a dream. And instead of going east, he goes west into Macedonia, the northern part of Greece. His, it's his first mission trip out of Asia and into Europe. And it's not his plans. Not, not, it, this is not his plans, but now the gospel is going to, to reach from the east, from the Middle East, into the Western world. It's a pretty big deal. So he gets to Philippi. It's a, it's a major Roman cosmopolitan international city along a main trade route that goes from east to west on a seaport. And this is a city full of every kind of person. This is a melting pot. And this passage gives us a snapshot of, of the gospel encountering three very different kinds of people. The first is Lydia. She's a successful businesswoman who trades in high-end purple fabrics. And, and she's also a worshiper of God, sometimes translated a God-fearer. And it means that she's a, a spiritual searcher. She's not content with thoughtlessness in life and just going along, nor is she content with the conventional Roman gods that really Everyone at that point, most people think of just as faraway entities, not, not really real. But she comes to know and respect the God of the Jews as they, as they know him through the Old Testament. And this is a, an, an amazing woman who has it all together. And along comes Paul and strikes up a conversation with a group of women who were gathered to pray. And, and you can imagine what Paul talks about with these women. Showing how all that attracted them to, to God in the Old Testament, the stories of David's faithfulness and passion and strength, but still his real struggles. The story of Esther and her, and her courage and her faithfulness to her people. And Paul takes all of that, all of the Old Testament, and shows how those stories point to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises they lived by and the fulfillment of all they seek, of all we seek in our lives. And Paul reasons with them and Lydia gets it and she's in and becomes a host and a supporter of Paul and a follower of Jesus. That's the first person. The second person is a slave girl with a spirit of divination. Literally, the Greek is that she has a spirit of the python, which is a reference to the the dragon that guarded the oracle at Delphi. And so it is best translated to mean that she could tell people's future. She's a fortune teller. It's... It's, in many ways, it's almost the opposite picture of Lydia. This woman who is oppressed spiritually and economically and physically, she's being human trafficked. 
And she's a broken mess to whom the world gives no thought as a human being. But she's used for people's ego and financial gain. And honestly, even Paul, even Paul does his best to ignore her for a few days as she follows him around and pesters him. And what this woman needs is, is, is something completely different than what Lydia needs. Lydia comes to Christ through reasoned discourse. This woman needs the power of Christ to free her from all this slavery and oppression. Will Williman is a, is a, a pastor before he became the chaplain at Duke University. And while he was pastoring church, he tells a story of a troubled man, a man off the street, who, who started coming to their church, and the church cared for him in every way they could. They, they brought him food, they tried to help him with housing and with medical, and, and just encourage him and, and greet him with a smile whenever they saw him in a welcome. But eventually, he just kind of disappeared and moved on. A couple of years later, Williman ran to him, ran into him when they were getting on a bus together. And the man now suddenly was well dressed. And and he stood more upright. And and clearly he was transformed in his whole being. And Williman greeted him warmly and, and told him how great he looked and how happy he was for him. And he asked, What happened? And, and the man tells Williman how grateful he was for the church and how nice they were to him. But he told the story how after a little while later, he happened into a different ministry. And, and then he remarked, what you gave me was a band-aid. What I needed was chemotherapy. The woman in this passage needs chemotherapy. And after days of following him annoyingly, Paul finally turns around and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And she was free. It's a lot different than what happened to Lydia. Both of them find what they need in Jesus. And it's, it's ultimately the same thing. The same gospel, the same good news and freedom, the same salvation. Tim Keller paraphrases the commencement speech given by a, a famous atheist named David Foster Wallace. And he, he wrote, in the day, in the, he did this in a commencement sheet speech, and he said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. Remember, he's an avowed atheist saying this. There's no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing a real God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths 
before they finally plant you. Worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to keep that fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid, a, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Becky Pippert was a, 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 is a Christian writer, and she said something similar. She said, the person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. But you do not control yourself. You are controlled by the Lord of your life. The final person in the story that we read read this morning was the Roman jailer. Jailers were typically retired Roman soldiers who had done well for themselves and gotten this good retirement job. And all they had to do was not let anyone escape. And as a a successful old soldier, he's a pragmatist. He's very real about life. And, and he's very hard to impress. You've got to imagine he's seen it all. It's not about arguments or persuasion for him or, or needing a miraculous deliverance. He's a get-the-job-done guy. And show him the difference the gospel is going to make. Don't tell me. Show me. This is what Paul shows him. He treats being in jail... Paul treats being in jail like he's the freest person alive. He's singing and praying. I'm sure they were worship songs, maybe with words from the Psalms, songs of deliverance and, and freedom from sin and death. And when freedom is handed to Paul, uh, he doesn't need it or take it. Maybe he stays because he knows what it would mean for the jailer. And what what the jailer sees in Paul and his companion is undeniably different. And it's enough. Paul helps him to understand what he sees. It's the good news of Jesus. And the jailer and his family believe. Just a few things to notice about these stories that all come together. First of all, the gospel is for everybody. These, these three people are about as different as, as it gets. Upper class, middle class, and a slave. Lydia is Asian from Thyatira. The slave is, is Greek and the jailer is Roman. This faith is not from one culture. It's not for one culture or situation. It is for everybody. 2,000 years of histories has shown us that. At one point, it was primarily just Jews and then spread out to the Middle East. Then, beginning in this story, the gospel starts going west. West to be Greek and Roman and eventually European. Now, most Christians in the world are, are Asian and African or Latin American. Most Christians in the world are. The faith is for everyone. 
And the gospel impacts people through different means. It it impacts people through reason. It impacts people through power. And it impacts people through circumstances and evidence and, and witness. This, though, in itself, the gospel, is the unifying power that the world needs. These three people have nothing in common and nothing in this world would bring them together. If it were today, Lydia would be a a CEO of a Fortune 500 company and riding around in jets. The slave girl would be a a 17-year-old addict and prostitute with mental health issues on the streets of the city, controlled by a pimp. And the jailer would probably be a tough, blue-collar, no-nonsense cop walking the streets. There's, There's no intersecting point in their lives. But the gospel changes the way we look at ourselves and look at others. The world has an image of Christianity that we're divisive, that we hate this group or that group and and people of all sorts, people who are different than ourselves. The cop and the CEO, maybe we'd like them, but they're hardworking and they're successful. But this girl, we oh, certainly the world would think that we would be judgmental of her. But the world should be wrong about us in this way. The world wants people to come together. It wants people to come together, but it it doesn't provide any help to do that. The great missiologist Leslie Newbingen said something like, Christians also want the unity of humankind, but it is not to be found by just repeating abstract words like justice, justice, love, love, peace, peace. We Christians believe the unity of the human race will be found in the man, Jesus Christ, in whom God is reconciling the whole world. When we see ourselves first as the beloved of God and saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, before I see myself as a, as, a, as a white American or a pastor or even as a husband and father, when I see myself as a child of God, first, we can all come together as, as sisters and brothers across every worldly boundary and see everyone differently, even if they don't know who they really are or accept it. It changes our sight of people. But the final thing that we see in these passages and these stories is that God works through us no matter what. No matter what. Nothing happened according to plan for Paul. He didn't plan to go west to Macedonia and Europe, but God made him do it. And the history of the world changes. He just saw a group of women and struck up a conversation. And I bet, I, you got to see, he's a good listener because he caught on quickly that, with the fact that Lydia, a wealth and wealthy Asian woman, was a person searching for God. And it wasn't Paul's brilliant persuasion. The scripture says, God opened her heart. The slave woman's exorcism, it doesn't even look good for Paul. He just turned around because he was annoyed. And, and Paul doesn't have anything to do with an earthquake. 
But there it is. It's not his wisdom or his smarts, his, his spiritual control or his ability to impress a no-nonsense pragmatist. It was God working. God does the work in people's hearts through, through us and through everything. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't make plan, plans and have activities. Myself and all of us, we need to use together all the knowledge and wisdom we have from, from everything, from the education and the books and the experience and the connections, every resource we have, and pursue wisdom as to how best be the church in the culturally and generationally and financially and spiritually diverse community of Kent in in 2022 and in the years to come. And as a pastor and a session and deacons and as a whole church, we'll make plans and we'll have activities and do everything that we can to be a church that reaches people with the gospel. But always, we need to remember who really convinces people? Who does the chemotherapy? And who brings the timely earthquake in circumstances of all sorts? It's, it's so easy to get focused on how we envision things to happen that we miss God. Look at what happened for Paul, the most effective evangelist and church planter that the world has ever known. God shows up with a woman who is annoying him to death or, or, or gives him an unjust prison sentence and, and a beating. God is working all the time, all around us and even through us. It, it, it means no matter our plans, the key is to trust God, to keep our attention on what he's doing and to follow wherever he leads. You'll have some stories to tell. You'll have a witness. And, and you get to front row seat to see the miraculous things that God does as the gospel transforms us and people around us. Let's pray. God, it's, it's hard to know how to be a church in a new age, a new era of our world. But what we have is the gospel. And the gospel is that you are working. That despite our sin and brokenness, you are alive and through the work of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Spirit and the promises of a new heaven and a new earth, you are working all the time, everywhere. Guide us to, to see what you're doing, even just a glimpse, and to come alongside what you are doing. And when we do that, and you are the head, God, it is our joy to be the body of Christ and to serve you. Lead us, God. Guide us and help us be the church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.